2: Those experiences have been so important.
1: This time, Lizzie is on the other side of the mic talking about and performing songs from their brand new album, Half Seas. Basic Folks' 250th episode with Lizzie No is streaming now on the Bluegrass Situation Podcast Network. Join us there or wherever you get podcasts. Welcome to Basic Folk, where we have honest conversations on the Bluegrass Situation Podcast Network. Excuse me, aren't you
2: forgetting something? I'm forgetting nothing. Honest conversations with folk musicians.
1: Oh, did I not say that? You said
2: honest conversations. And like, I was thinking like, well, if it's just broadened up to honest conversations, like, let's get John Cena on here. No, we need to keep it down to folk musicians because that's all we can handle.
1: I'm Cindy Howes. That's Lizzie No, We'd love for you to sign up for our mailing list. You can do that at basicfolk.com. Click on the red sign up for the mailing list button. You can also follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Basic Folk Pod. We're listener supported. You can make a contribution by going to our website. And if you click on the shop, we have Basic Folk beanies available in our shop. They are available as a contribution for $5 a month. They are handmade by this podcast's mother. Well one of this podcast mothers. We are a matriarchy here at Basic Folk. Obviously. Basicfolk.com. Speaking of the matriarchy, Lizzie, no. You told me you just saw the Barbie movie. Tell me what you thought. I
2: loved the Barbie movie. I laughed and I the music in it is so good. Like give that music supervisor their flowers right now because All of the license cues were so great. There was some really cute original music in it. But it was also just like so cool to see historic Barbies. Like I loved playing with Barbies growing up. And the movie is all about how like a lot of girls today don't like Barbies for very valid reasons. And it's about how complex and beautiful and magical it is to be a woman, no matter what that means to you. So I think in Mm. the broadest possible sense, it's, like, a very inclusive and, like, just super fun
1: movie that's Mm -hmm. also touching. Listen, hot take. I thought it was going to be better. (gasps) Really? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought the Mattel stuff was pretty heavy-handed. Like, there was a lot of reminders.
2: I didn't love that part.
1: The storyline was a little thin and confusing. I thought there was too much Ken stuff.
2: Yes, that is one main critique. Actually, my partner, Cole, shout out to a man. Ugh, I guess shout out to a man. Um, He was like, why did the Kens get so much time? And, like, the way that they wrestled with their gender identity was so much more playful and fun than the Barbies. Like, Cole felt that the Barbies ended up having to, like, be a bit too serious, I think, and, like, be sort of a mouthpiece for feminism in this, like, particular liberal way, while, like, the Kens got to be, like, so many different silly vulnerable, hmm. different things. I don't know if I agree with that, but I think it's like, that's a good thing to be on the lookout for.
1: My favorite part of the movie was Alan.
2: My favorite part of the movie was Barbie.
1: <laughs> Lizzie, tell me what's going on with you, particularly what you're doing on October
2: 21st. Oh my gosh, I'm so glad you asked. I have so much going on. Much of it I can't talk about just yet, but one thing I can talk about is that I am playing a show with my band On the campus of Stanford University, Leland Stanford Jr. University. I will be there at the concert hall, the Bing concert hall, in the Bing studio, October 21st. It is very cool and prestigious, might I say? Much like
1: you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm cool and prestigious. lizzienocom slash tour. And to rewind in September, the end of this month, Lizzie and I are going to be at the IBMAs in Raleigh. We will be there hanging out from September 28th to the 30th. And we're going to be on a podcast panel with our Bluegrass Situation pals. So if you see us down there, be sure to say hello. Please don't be scary. We are little baby bunnies. You may be a baby bunny, but I am Barbie. And this
2: Barbie... Believes in herself and isn't scared, but also would just love if, as a courtesy, you didn't act really weird around her.
1: All right, we'll see you at the IBMAs. Don't know if you know this. We guest DJ once a month on SiriusXM's The Village. Our theme for August was Women's Equality Day, which was the day in 1920 that white women got the right to vote. And during our conversation, uh, while we were guest DJing, we were talking about how Yes, let's celebrate women's equality, but also acknowledge the fact that not all women got the right to vote in 1920, and it remains to be seen whether all women and all people in America have easy access to voting today. So in talking about that, we made a donation to the Black Mama Bailout and also Abortion Care Tennessee. We'll link those organizations in our show notes. And if you want to check out our really awesome, cool guest DJ set, you can check it out on SiriusXM's app. Just search for Basic Folk. Couldn't have said it better myself, Cindy. We are about freedom and
2: bodily autonomy and everyone having a voice, especially women. We are feminists and
1: we are friends. I'd love to talk about our friend, Carl. Carl. Dreamboat Carl. Is it time? Yeah. Okay. It's time. Buffalo Nichols. I've got
2: great news for our listeners. The Milwaukee singer, songwriter, and legend Buffalo Nichols returns to basic folk this week to talk about his new album, The Fatalist, out tomorrow on Fat Possum Records. Our conversation picked up right where Nichols' debut album left off, Traveling the World, Hot on the Heels of the Blues. Following a profound tradition can be just as frustrating as it is romantic. In his years on the road promoting his self-titled debut album, Carl, aka Buffalo Nichols, has witnessed how the blues can be not only a musical genre, but unfortunately a home base for some listeners, nostalgic, back in the good old days, artistically stagnant, patriarchal tendencies, and he wants none of it. The Fatalist is an offering to the gods of change, the gods of self-awareness, and the gods of integrity. He's really trying to tell a story about the blues that takes place in the here and now. One of the major achievements of this collection of eight songs is the seemingly effortless sonic collage that comes second nature to hip-hop but is less discussed in Roots in Americana. From a Charlie Patton sample to Ali Farcature influenced finger-picking to tasty 808s to contemporary songwriting that wrestles with what it means to be a good man in 2023, The Fatalist tells a story about the present while keeping the past close and eschewing sentimentality. This sense of being in conversation with storytellers of the past is a pillar of what I would call the Black Art Tradition, all caps. Um, And it's part of what makes Buffalo Nichols one of my favorite artists to follow right now. He's on a mission. He's creating really fun songs. And I think this album is going to surprise you.
1: The album is The Fatalist, and we will hear clips from the new record throughout the interview. This is going to be great.
2: We love Carl. This is a really good conversation. I think it's like awesome,
1: kind of spicy. You're going to like it. Great. All right. We'll get to our conversation with Buffalo Nichols on Basic Folk.
2: Buffalo Nichols, Carl, if I may call you Carl. You may. My friend, Comrade Ally. Welcome back to Basic Folk. I'm so excited to have you back, Um, and we're going to do it a little bit differently this time. I want to go track by track through your incredible new album um, out soon on Fat Possum Records, The Fatalist. Um, But first, I want to like kind of bridge the gap between the last time you were on basic folk and now Mm -hmm. what have the, like, so you, you released your self-titled on fat possum kind of a great breakthrough blues album talking about like where the blues are today. Mm -hmm. I, I think it was like a really great entry into that conversation. And then you like go all over the world touring this record. So what did, What have your last couple of years of touring taught you about what audiences are looking for in the blues um, and like how the genre is doing? Like if you had to do like a health check on the blues, Mm -hmm. what would you say based on your last couple of years of touring? Uh,
3: The biggest thing that I've learned probably is that it does more harm than good from a marketing standpoint, um, which is the only one that matters. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> but, everything uh,
2: is marketing
3: yeah it's a it's it's really weird because when you uh are labeled a blues artist you get a certain built-in fan base and the majority of that fan base has certain expectations because the blues hasn't changed that much you know I'm generalizing here but it mm-hmm. really hasn't changed that much in a while so people expect a certain thing
2: are there um strategies or relationships or like parts of your imagination that you turn to, to keep yourself open-minded? Like when you're up against all that, like that stagnant feeling?
3: Yeah. I, I, I try to just uh, tell myself that I'm an artist and it doesn't matter what people mm-hmm. think, which can get you in a weird headspace. You can kind of get a, yeah. a complex or a chip on your shoulder. Like, Oh, nobody understands me. Yeah. <laughs> But you really got to, you have to tell yourself that in the, in the situation that I'm in, because I'm not really, and this is a thing that a lot of people can relate to, but I never really feel like I'm reaching my intended audience. Mm. So I'm always kind of singing to people who they like certain parts of what I'm doing, but at the end of the day, they don't really understand what I'm saying. Um, mm-hmm. so I can't rely on the audience to give me that validation that I'm looking for. So I gotta, you know, just do it myself.
2: Yeah, if I had to guess, I would say that that might be one of the things that gives you staying power. I think there are a lot of people that get by on like quick gratification and mm-hmm. people loving and being able to easily digest what they do. Mm-hmm. And that makes it really hard to change. Maybe I'm just like putting a silver lining on something that's like genuinely <laughs> not great, but part of me thinks that it's good because you're not like addicted to the approval.
3: Yeah, I definitely, you know, over the years of just performing i've i've learned little tricks to kind of win over an audience Mm -hmm. and i always feel kind of defeated afterwards because you know like Mm -hmm. i've i've been an opening act for a long time and you know when you feel like you're not quite winning the crowd over you know you pull out your bag of tricks to try to like get their attention for for 20 minutes and then you know at the end of that i just feel like, like kind of burnt out like I wasn't able to reach the people as myself, so I had to turn some weird act on to to get it done. And it doesn't matter how much they like it. If I wasn't really being myself, it ends up being, like, very tiring.
2: Like a first date where you, like, have to carry the entire conversation. (laughs)
3: Right.
2: Do you have a memory of, like, a show where you really felt like you showed up, like, as yourself and people were able to really receive it? And you felt not, like, drained at the end, but just like, okay, that was my show
3: um it happens a lot um i can remember one show in particular where i played at a tipatina's
2: oh amazing
3: yeah opening for drive-by truckers and it was more so like the environment kind of worked um because i was you know every once in a while i would get a gig where the environment fit what i was trying to do because i was doing a lot of like you know restaurant gigs and yeah (laughs) and kind of lawn chair festivals
2: We've done a handful of those together. Yes,
3: that's right. <laughs> it's,
2: the lawn chair crowd <laughs> is not always that receptive to like, I'm going to innovate this traditional genre.
3: Yeah, no disrespect because, you know, it's, it's, they're great people. They're, they're some of the most yes. open-minded people out there you yeah. know, sometimes. But, you know, when you're doing certain things and you look out and everyone's just sitting there, <laughs> you can kind of like start thinking too much. Um, But it was just like great sound because I use a lot of like low end and bass heavy drums in my show. Mm-hmm. And people are often kind of confused by that. But at this show, like the whole room was vibrating and the whole crowd is feeling it. And I was just able to, to go in that direction that I've been trying to go. And it was like, okay, everyone, like all these shows are feeling like maybe I'm not doing something right. And then that one mm-hmm. where everything clicked and I was like, all right, maybe I'm onto to something.
2: Yeah, it's actually hitting. And I could see that being such a great pairing with the drive by truckers that's dope mm-hmm. um are you ready to jump into your new album i i have a question about every song and i want people to like get a feel for it before they get to go out and buy it
3: yeah let's do it uh, i'm gonna be doing a lot of uh, ums and well and because uh, i haven't good <laughs> i haven't heard the album good. in a while i mean like most people i make yeah. the album and i never listen to it again but i'll try to remember what's on it <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay so The Fatalist, I have listened to it recently. Mm-hmm. I, for one, am familiar with it. I don't, I'll Maybe I can reintroduce you to your album. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, Cold Black Stare. What really intrigued me about this song was the form that you wrote it in, which is kind of a guessing game. Like you're asking and answering different questions. Mm-hmm. And little by little, we learn more and more about the Cold Black Stare mm-hmm. man. Mm-hmm. Like this this character. So how would you describe this character if you were just describing like a human person to me, like in conversation and why that format, why the mystery, why the sort of guessing game element?
3: Yeah, that's a that's a good question. Um, well, the reason why I started going in that direction was because I wanted to just start slowly revealing the, the identity or the characteristics in a way that wasn't like, immediately clear that there's a certain villain behind all of these issues Mm -hmm. um and the person that i'm trying to describe is uh you know someone who not only goes out of their way to cause suffering but also just enjoys seeing it happen Mm. um so you know they're kind of they're in the shadows and they're there at your you know personal darkest moments those moments where you feel like you're doing something wrong and you don't know what's going wrong, but little do you know that the person responsible for it is sitting right there mm. making sure that you're that you're suffering and uh, I think in the towards the middle end of the song I say uh he's a devil, he's a liar mm. he's a billionaire um and that's that's essentially what i'm what I'm getting at is you know the the whole capitalist uh it problem <laughs> that we have, yeah. And uh, I remember, uh, you know, when I was younger, there were some like, you know, old ladies, older ladies in my life who would,
0: you know, see me doing something
3: wrong, and they would say, "Oh, you the devil? That's the devil in you." <laughs> and I'm like, "That's um, intense." Yeah, it kind of it kind of messed me up being told I was the devil a lot. <laughs> but, um,
2: I'm no therapist, but I have to say, it's like probably not healthy to be told you are the devil.
3: Yeah. Probably not <laughs> but you know this <laughs> that's the way it is speaking of uh, fate, fatalism mm-hmm. um but yeah, I think a lot of those things that you know we attribute to something be some great evil force is actually just a man with a lot of money mm. who's found a way to capitalize on. He went suffering.
2: Yeah, the Scooby-Doo of it all.
4: Yes. <laughs> There's a reason why your sanity is slipping away. What are you thinking You thought that it was funny, you ain't laughing now. He's taking all I have and now he's coming for you. He's taking all I have and now he's coming for you. Of all the empty promises he made to you He would rob the poor and the well to do And if you had nothing, he would take that too He's a devil, he's a liar, he's a billionaire Taking everything and leaving nothing for you Taking everything and leaving nothing
2: so the single you're going to need somebody on your bond that is a reinterpretation of a blind willie johnson tune um and there's a really cool charlie Patton sample so like covers are something we know so much about mm. in the folk space mm. um sampling is not something that's talked about as much mm. in this like folk bluegrass roots world but it in the song it works so beautifully Um, and it feels very present. And so sonically, like knowing, um, that you are a really experienced producer, how did you make sure that something that like, not only is the song is like an old song, but that sample is like audio from the past. Mm -hmm. How did you make sure to like stay faithful to how it sounded in the past while making it sound contemporary?
3: Uh, I didn't have to think that much about the, uh being faithful to the oldness of it, I guess, cause it just, you know, it, it, cause it works as it is just, and I think that's, uh, just something that I've got comfortable with from experience. Uh, one of the big things that got me back in to sampling, cause I, when I was like in my teens, that was kind of one of my musical passions. Mm-hmm. That's where it started was like hip hop and, and sample based music. Um, And, you know, like the mad villain, MF Doom stuff and the the whole Wu-Tang world and a lot of Ghostface Killer has these, um, you know, samples from old movies and old records Mm -hmm. where you, when I hear an old sample from an old record, the first thing I hear is like, you know, 90s hip hop before I hear like, you know, a 1950 string section. I'm like, oh, is that, is that the sample from that, uh, that Ghostface song? Um, so that, to me, those two worlds of like modern production and old samples already just made sense. Uh, and yeah, everything else just kinda was already in me, cause that was a, that song is a song I've been playing for so long that it was really easy for me to just interpret it in a, a different way.
2: bit like personal and broad
3: yes that's the only way I know how to go
2: <laughs> okay <laughs> so love is all mm-hmm. such a cool song um there's a lyric that really stood out to me you talk about the Canon of good men mm-hmm. and that you know that Canon is kind of placed skeptically up for inspection you're like do I believe in that what is that mm-hmm. so to you Carl mm-hmm. in the year 2023, what makes a good man?
3: <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I think I think there's like no such thing, actually. Mm. <laughs> 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 um, <laughs> it's, it's hard to say, but the 2023-ness of it is kind of what I was addressing because... Yeah. Um, I mean, we all know that historically men have, have been shitty, but... I always find it funny when I'm on the internet and you see, like, especially in the podcast world of, like, people um, trying to figure out gender roles Mm -hmm. in the most, like, perverted and messed up way possible. Like, so many people who don't know what they're talking about with such confidence. Yes. (laughs) And
2: Yeah, podcasts in a way, like, I know we're on a podcast right now. But I was actually just with some of my girlfriends and I was like, they need to take the the mics away from some of these men. (laughs) They need to go. We need SWAT teams grabbing the mics because there's a lot of men that I feel like are like looking for something, a sense of power, a sense of belonging, you know, a sounding board. And they're using this new medium to just like say their worst thoughts and like try to get approval for it. (laughs) Yes. And
3: then you can get, you know, people of of any gender agreeing with them and then they're like, see, this is... of course I'm right look how many people agree with me and some people get close and there's like okay Mm -hmm. you have a few qualities that make for a healthy relationship but then the rest Mm -hmm. are so off and people can kind of ignore the those those gaps and and then the bar is kind of lowered it's like okay they're not all the way there but the thing that I was thinking about was yeah, essentially how the bar has been lowered and you can do a couple of good things and compared to other men, you are doing great because you don't, you know, yeah, you're not violent or you have a job. That's all, you, that's all it takes.
2: Um, I read, I don't know who the quote is by, but there was a great like feminist quote that said like, all men benefit from the actions of violent men mm. because... You know, if it's like, well, I'm not a rapist, I'm not an abuser, mm-hmm. at least I'm not that, it makes you like, it makes women lower their expectations and people of all genders lower their expectations. It sounds like like what you're saying is like being a good man is actually about holding yourself accountable to like be
3: a whole person. Yeah, I'm going to start saying that next and time. And not just like do
2: one <laughs> or two good things.
3: <laughs> yeah, I've, I've actually tried to like address this topic in songs before and- mm-hmm. It always felt wrong because I don't think that I know, and I don't think any man really knows what it means to be a good man, because there's nobody that can really tell you because we haven't seen it in a meaningful way yet. Like everybody has people in their life that they like, but what does it really mean to have done good as a man or whatever? Because, mm-hmm. like I said, it's always about comparison. Like, we, like right. you know, people in my family will say, like, oh, my, this person is good to me because they don't treat me like my, uh, this person who used to, you know, beat me or whatever. And you have this association, this, you're kind of comparing them to the worst example.
2: Exactly, yeah.
3: And we still do that. And I don't know how to, how to look at manhood or whatever, this portion of, of the gender spectrum. And say, objectively, this is how you should behave. And there's a whole bunch of other things that go into it. But really, yeah, that's, I guess, now that I think about it, you know, manhood is kind of judged by how bad you aren't and not how good you are.
2: Okay, I need to sit with that. That's really, that's really deep. That's hard.
3: Yeah, it is. It doesn't make me feel good. (laughs)
2: <laughs> what are those, do you remember which songs you were, like, are there songs that you've released as Buffalo Nichols that, like, were trying to address that same topic?
3: Um. No, I don't think so. Um, there are songs that I've released as Buffalo Nichols that, like, are more of the opposite, where I mm. kind of just took on a you know, borderline misogynistic character just to to feel more authentic as a blues artist, yeah. which I'm, like, ashamed of, and I'm trying to, to correct that. Um, but whenever I've gotten to this topic specifically, I always end up feeling like a fraud or, like, it's not quite what I'm trying to say, so I always end up, you know, moving on.
2: Yeah, in that sense, the blues is, like, a really great um, place to start as far as deconstructing some of those misogynist tendencies because there's so much in the blues that's like you know very black and white as far as gender mm-hmm. um yeah i think it's cool to see you breaking that down
3: yeah that's one of the things that people actually like about it the most unfortunately which goes back to yes. your earlier question you meet mm-hmm. people who see no issue with it and then you try to point it out and then it's like well nobody comes to a show to get lectured no. to <laughs> but you know it, you know it's yeah it's it's a mess
4: or how do you try
3: yeah
4: so what does this mean? Because I don't understand Does it mean we'll never have to feel so heartbroken again? Oh, does it mean that I can wash my hands Of this longing that's been burning since I dawned?
2: turn another stone this is like a homecoming country song Mm -hmm. which is a type of song that i love um what did living in austin and traveling extensively as a touring musician teach you about like your home city of milwaukee and kind of as it relates to the blues how is the work ethic different between like milwaukee and more industry focused towns like Austin or Nashville?
3: I have moved around a lot in my life, in my adult life, and I always end up going back just because, you know, life is hard. Not because I ever really felt like I missed home so much, but, you know, that's just, at least it's my personalities when, uh, or it was, you know, when things got too hard and I couldn't see what the point was, I just was like, I'm going home. Yeah. But my most recent move back on to Milwaukee wasn't really like that at all. It was more like, actually, I think this home that I was trying to escape for so long, maybe there was something to it. And as far as the work ethic, that was the thing that I've learned in my 30s now, is that people in the Midwest and these kind of industrial Midwest towns are very hardworking. But the reason is because life is just... There's just so many more obstacles, I guess, Mm. and there's fewer options. So if you want to make something work, it takes just way more deliberate effort in a Milwaukee than it does in, you know, an LA or New York because it's just more—it's a matter of opportunities. You know, Mm -hmm. we're all kind of facing the same difficulties, but if you work really hard in some cities, you can just keep going and going until. Oh yeah. Every place has a ceiling, but the ceiling in Milwaukee is a lot lower than it is in Austin, I think. Um, and I, and moving back taught me that it's not really a better or worse thing. Like, it's nice to be around people who um, have different ambitions, so to speak. Like, in Milwaukee, people aren't really after certain things because there's no access to it. And that's refreshing. But then it's also nice to be around people who have goals. <laughs> you know, that's nice, too.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we all got dreams.
3: Yeah. Now that I've
4: returned to the place I once maligned Familiar faces bring me peace of mind And this place I tried so hard to leave behind Is the place from which I choose to say goodbye
2: Let's talk about the difference. Mm. I love this song. It's very moving and it's like a very stripped down arrangement. Mm. And I'm asking for a friend. The friend is me. (laughs) How did you learn to finger pick and how did you develop the feel that you have when you're playing an acoustic guitar song like that? That's just like a sweet little acoustic ballad. Mm. Um, are there guitarists that you look to for inspiration on that type of like folksy singer-songwriter type song?
3: Probably. I don't know how I learned most things because the majority of what I am capable of on guitar I learned when I was a teenager. Mm. So I can't really pinpoint a lot of it. But I do know when I play that song, I feel like I'm ripping off Eric Bibb. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably the like a lot of my folk um, sensibilities came from... Eric Bibb, um, who's really known, I think, as a blues artist, but he's just a a, a wealth of information from all types of music. Um, and then th- there was a period of my life where I was really into uh, West African music, especially guitar players like Ali Farka Toure and Afel Bokum. And once I started learning the way that they play, which is like total independence of the thumb and the fingers, mm-hmm. I could kind of just do whatever I wanted.
4: It came time to write your story I was barely mentioned Just a minor role A place you'd go when you needed attention But if I'm just a rest stop for your soul I'll let it be Cause I just don't know the difference Between love and company And the sun don't always shine on me don't care if we live or die, but the light is ours to share. And it's only who's bleeding, but the pain is mine to bear. And I'm too weak to even speak rescue to be
2: fair. As far as long journey home, mm. I am so excited for the world to hear this song. Okay. How did you create the perfect beat for the song <laughs> what sorts of percussion sounds did you look for what did you try that didn't work talk about building that track
3: that one was interesting because I had the idea that was a song that I was working on uh before the first album um and all of this like trying to mix the the styles that I do I've been thinking about and working on for a long time um mm-hmm. I am really into uh drum machines you know Mm -hmm. analog synthesizers and all this stuff so usually when i'm using drum machines to make a beat um i i basically track them one at a time you know got your kick Mm -hmm. drum and your snare and hi-hat and all these things but uh for this one i didn't do it because i made this beat and i just kind of like recorded it to just keep the idea and i was gonna go back and like we recorded more meticulously. But then I accidentally deleted the file on my drum machine. So I had to go back and, I mean, I tried to recreate it. And I just, I don't know. I don't think it wasn't that I couldn't. It was just that I was I had given up. I was <laughs> just like, I don't <laughs> want to go do that all over again. so all right, I just, this is it. <laughs> yeah. So I just took that mono track that I had saved as a demo and I just put it in the song. Then towards the end of the song, I like added some computer drums, which I Tried to avoid because I felt like it was cheating or something. But I'm just kind of a nerd in that way about about drum machines. But uh, yeah, just added stuff to it. And I don't know if it it worked, but it's on there. So it doesn't matter.
2: It's (laughs) ominous as hell. Thank you. It's very good.
3: Well, that part, the ominousness of it comes from something that's come into my music uh, lately, which is just really kind of dark ambient element. That is a lot more in my live set um yes and you know i'm still trying to like make a living off of music so i'm not going fully experimental electronic music quite yet so i try to like to sneak in pieces of it and not do a 15-minute drone song yeah mm. but
2: that time might come
3: oh i'm sure it will and i'll see you there Yeah. <laughs> Fill my lungs with water.
2: ties perfectly into the next tune, the Fatalist Blues, mm-hmm. the title track. There's a lyric that says, if silence set us free, I would never make another sound. Mm-hmm. Um, do you remember the feeling you had when you finished writing that song?
3: Yeah. Um, at, when I wrote the song, it wasn't going to be the title track. But when I wrote the song, I was like, this, in a way, is like everything that I've been trying to do for the last 10 years. Um, not just as far as the production, but the, 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 the message in the song and everything is like, this is kind of my, this is like my flagship song. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then I went back and started looking at all the other songs that I had been writing for the album and it helped me kind of fit everything together.
2: Do you think that singing makes us free? Do you think that saying things can make us free? Like, where do you actually land on that? Like, personally?
3: It, it, just in my own life, uh, especially as a, speaking as a musician, or as an artist, I don't feel like speaking out has really gotten me anything tangible, which is not why I do it. Um, but at the same time, you know, that's why I put that line in there. It's like saying nothing doesn't really get you anything either. It might get you in yeah. a room where people are more comfortable to have you around because... You know, uh, you're a safer, safer option. But, you know, if your position is depends on your silence, then I feel like you've you've lost more. And, you know, being an artist who has nothing to lose is is a much better feeling than than feeling like you owe everybody. And as soon as you make a wrong move, everything can be taken from you. Um, and, And even beyond artistry. As a person and as a black person, I feel like until somebody can show me that shutting up is going to pay off, I'm going to keep saying what I say. Yeah. Thank you. Do it. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, I actually really appreciated a, like a little mini correction, redirection that that you shared recently on social media. There was a newspaper. I'm like, I'm not going to get too specific because that's not what this is about. Mm. That said like, Buffalo Nichols had a run in with the law and said he would never return to X state. And you were like, you you tweeted like a quote unquote run in with the law is an interesting way of framing racial profiling. Mm. And I really thought about that because I find it so tricky in this like social media age, especially like as black artists in the root space, I do feel like we're expected to like be the teachers and the prophets and just take all the shit and tell people what's right. And like speak out and then take all the abuse. Hmm. Um, yeah. And that doesn't mean that it's not worth doing, but it does mean that it like comes with an emotional toll. So um, yeah, I just wanted to ask you about like how you're navigating that because I struggle with a lot of the same stuff. Like <laughs> when do hmm. you set the record straight and when do you just kind of like protect your own mental health? I don't know. It's not a real question, but I'm happy to be talking about it with you.
3: Oh no, it's, it's, uh- I don't. I, I struggle with that constantly, um, uh, and I really don't know how. What's the right way to do it? Or, I mean, it. it you got to do it the way that feels right to you as an individual. At the end of the day, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I learned pretty quickly that yeah, that I was kind of naive about the whole thing. But it became pretty clear that people like that type of content, and not yes. for any particular reason like it's not like you are uh you're not really teaching anybody anything like no. people know that when you're black you get uh treated differently so it's like if you say people it, are aware <laughs> right like saying it can, invisible
2: man has been in bookstores right. for decades now
3: yeah so and and this is I, I tried really hard to in fact I I specifically I made a point to like not mention race in my press release because it was a big part of the last one and you know it's a thing that i ended up just having to talk to a bunch of white people about race and it was it got old. it's a nightmare <laughs> and it's uh, a nightmare yeah so i tried to avoid it and it it kind of comes up anyway but you know it's 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 come up late, lately just because of just the nature of the music that i make and the kind of person i am and what i get is you know, you get a little bit of people who are like, yeah, that's right. But then you get a whole wave of people who are like, how dare you say that mm-hmm. you're black and I'm white? <laughs> like,
2: Breaking news. Race exists.
3: Yeah. The backlash that comes along with it. People kind of like to watch. They like to watch mm-hmm. their favorite black artists go toe-to-toe against a racist. Absolutely. But you got you to deal with it. People
2: love to say, like, so-and-so had the perfect takedown for these racists. And yeah. it's like, okay, but... Did that pay that person's bills? Did that help that person? Like no, that person did a bunch of free labor and it didn't
3: Yeah. <laughs> didn't I, do anything. I don't lose sleep over it, you know, but it's like no. I'm not I it's a waste of my time at the end of the day. Yeah. That's the that's the naivety that I had is like, "Oh, if I just talk about it, people will change their behavior." Little did I know. <laughs> they sure won't. <laughs> they will not.
2: But I actually think that the way that you approach these kinds of topics is really um strategic because you're not like I think a lot of people forget that we have more avenues for communication than just social media. Mm. Like there are people who like are somewhat like adjacent to the music industry or in the music industry who are just like tweeting all day. Mm. (laughs) It's like, okay, that's not like really getting us free. Mm. I think demonstrating through your life and your art, what it looks like to be free.
3: Mm.
2: And then from time to time, verbally setting the record straight. I would say it's probably working, but
3: yeah, I I think time will tell. (laughs) I, I think, I think I'm making some sort of uh, progress because yeah I, I don't t- tweet really at all and I use Instagram to say things but the wildest shit I say is on stage where yeah you know when just... <laughs>
2: people actually have showed up to listen to you yeah yeah
3: and I'm, I find myself less and less in spaces where I'm in front of a hostile audience mm-hmm. when I was just getting started it was like I was always in places where people didn't want me so I would just like kind of go off on people and they got to deal with it because i got the microphone and though they can they can feel however they want but it's not public so nobody's like there's no like audience kind of judging your your clapbacks and everything so it's like yeah you say something to them and they're like oh and in real life they got to sit with it and i feel like that's that's more effective and it's not about changing people's minds It's about i'm gonna make you as uncomfortable as you would like me to be in this space.
2: And that's a lesson.
3: Yeah. Nowadays I people kind of just know what I'm about before I show up, so I don't got to I don't got to do that as much, which is much better. I love just making music.
2: That's huge. Yeah. yeah. You've done it. Well, yeah, it really works as a title track and it and having that be the title track really kind of for me set the tone of like this album is going to be about like fate and destiny. Mm-hmm. Um and death, of course. If I had mom-
4: silence set us free I would never make another sound and we have not been rewarded for bowing to you could you imagine that I have got my own point of view if I had my way I would tear this whole building down
2: talking about this moment Yeah. um which is another song that deals, again, with like these similar balances between decisions and fate and power and death. Mm -hmm. What for you is the connection between the blues as an artistic practice and your practice of grounding yourself in the present moment? Put another way, do the blues have a particular relationship with time and the present moment?
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good question. I, I think, that's that's been my issue as a, a black blues artist born in the nineties, ninety something. <laughs> <laughs> ninety redacted. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, is that I discovered the music in a contemporary way, but I pretty quickly went to the the early stuff, mm-hmm. and it's very much. A like a snapshot of of their life in that time, especially artists like um, Charlie Patton, who has very like specific story songs of his life in you know Mississippi, or Louisiana, or whatever. And you go through the music and all the way up until you know you listen to Muddy Waters and Howlin' Wolf, and you can just imagine that you're in the South Side of Chicago. Exactly. And then at some point, it becomes this weird nostalgia thing and you have all these people like doing these caricatures and playing dress up and it's like to me that was a really important part of the music was like you get an idea of where this person is really from and what they're really about then all of a sudden you have somebody just playing a character and that kind of took me out of it um so when I started putting out blues music I felt like that's That's what it's all about. Like, If somebody's gonna listen to my music in a hundred years, I want them to know what life was like for me in Texas and in Milwaukee in the 2020s. And to me, you can't separate the two. If you are making any kind of music, but especially blues music, which at its core is a vocal and a storytelling music, Mm -hmm. and you're not telling any story that hasn't been told before, or at least that's not unique to you, then you are really wasting everybody's time.
2: Thoughts about the sequencing of the album and the message you were trying to get across with the order of the songs and the way that they flow.
3: Yeah, the sequencing was like partially trying to like have a storyline, but also um, it had a lot to do with me trying to find the balance of like trying to reach a, a different audience, but also not trying to alien- alienate anybody who discovered me through the first album. Mm-hmm. So. The first song is almost like a tongue-in-cheek um, thing because it's like a lo-fi kind of sound to try to get people to be like, oh, you want traditional blues? Here it is. Very like... Here we go. Yes. Yeah. And then like a little hidden message of anti-capitalism in there. <laughs> and then the the next song is the same thing where it starts out like sounding like an old record and then it just, it's like, you know, don't get too comfortable. This is something different. Then I go back to classic Buffalo Nichols as a palate cleanser. It's like, mm-hmm. sorry about that. <laughs> here's, <laughs> here's what you bought the album for. Um And then it, it kind of goes along that path. And then I end with this moment because it wraps up the the fatalist message in a more positive light. You know, to say that you know even if you do believe in fate, and even if things are going to get worse, which they probably are. You know, just enjoy this moment because even if right now sucks, it's only going to get worse. So <laughs> just <laughs> just be glad. <laughs> Carl,
0: oh,
2: I'm so glad you're my friend. I need this. Uh, I need this balance in my life. <laughs> Do you think you would ever um, make a hip hop record? And I'm not saying that because you're a black artist that I'm interviewing. <laughs> mm, racist. But just because of. <laughs> have Have you ever thought about rapping? <laughs> um, no, because the production on this record is really interesting and I would be interested to see like what a hip hop set would look like for me. like what do you think it would look like? Yeah, flight of fancy
3: uh I've always felt a connection to producing hip-hop music and I, I've tried it in different points of my life. Um, but I think I spent more time working on songwriting, like from a you know traditional Standpoint, yeah. so that's just where I feel more comfortable. But I've thought about like DJing or things like that. Mm-hmm. I've even like, you know, sometimes like when I have a captive audience, I'll just I'll just do things that are more electronic than anything, and and force people to listen to it. Um, but yeah, that's one of those things that I'm always, I'm I'm working toward it, and maybe one day the time will be right. Um, but I can't see myself doing it right now Mm -hmm. because i'm I'm on a different different path and it's more rooted in the blues than it is hip-hop so like hip-hop is 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 part of it um
2: it's part of the same family tree for sure
3: yeah absolutely and i think i'm I'm glad you said that because that's that's more my intention is to get people to associate the blues more with hip-hop than with you know whatever the fuck Redacted. it is now. <laughs> Redacted. <laughs> and I, I really am inspired by, you know, artists who have been able to do that. We've, like, jazz has always had this close relationship with hip hop. Yes. And then you've always had artists, and, and now you have people like, you know, Thundercat and Kamasi Washington and, and Robert Glasper who are just, like, mm-hmm. really bridging, reminding people that, you know, th- these are all part of the same thing. And I would love to see that in the booze where you could have a, you know, blues artists and hip hop artists collaborating in a way that's natural and not forced. Let's go. Yeah.
2: I, I will crowdfund it personally <laughs> with my extensive wealth.
3: I'm trying to get an Spice feature. <laughs> yes.
2: Let's manifest that. I'm trying to work with Cardi someday. Um, <laughs> the Fatalist is a really, really cool album. And it, I think it really shows off what you can do not only as a guitarist, singer, songwriter, but also as a producer. I think people are going to love this record and they should buy it on vinyl. And that is a basic folk endorsement. Are you willing to do the lightning round?
3: Yes. Yes. I'm a slow thinker, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to try my best.
2: Yeah. Don't think too hard about it. Just whatever comes first to mind, say it. (laughs) Got it. Okay. Jeans or sweatpants?
3: Sweatpants.
2: What superpower would you like to have?
3: Oh, I think... I think i got asked that one last time uh laser vision
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what is one song you wish you wrote
3: oh that would be let's see ribbit in the sky any steve wonder song i wish i wrote it
2: that was my sister's first dance at her wedding oh, I see. a couple months ago um what is one thing you wish people knew about the blues
3: <laughs> uh that is supposed to be good
2: Mm -hmm. Hmm. (laughs) what animal do you think you'll be in your next life
3: oh uh if i'm lucky a a dog a well-treated dog (laughs)
2: um when you're driving when you're on tour and you're driving late at night and you have to stay awake what album or musical artist do you put on the sound system
3: oh that's uh i'm trying to think trying to think back to when that's happened uh usually it's dmx yes yes
2: because x gon
3: give it to you yeah i like feeling like somebody's yelling at me and then he'll say like Mm -hmm. a homophobic slur, and i'll turn it off
2: (laughs) it's so frustrating i run to dmx and then i'm like damn he wouldn't really like me um yeah Often music is about loving someone or something that doesn't love you back. Yeah, that's fine.
3: That's a good way to. Look
2: um, it. <laughs> what was the last movie you saw and loved?
3: Um, John Wick Four. Yeah, that was good. Cool.
2: And finally, if you were to run for president, what would your like short slogan be? Like, what would go on your bumper sticker?
3: Uh, uh probably like, uh, they're gonna kill me.
2: They're gonna kill me. <laughs> buffalo nichols 2024 they're gonna kill me (laughs) the fatalist the fatalist that's me thank you so much for coming back to basic folk and walking us through your amazing
1: new album
3: thank you for having me had a great great time
1: this episode of basic folk was produced by sarah wardrop music composed by alex stanton Basic Folk is on the Bluegrass Situation Podcast Network. You can find all of our episodes there. You can search for us on the SiriusXM app under Basic Folk. Check out our website, basicfolk.com, or wherever you get podcasts. You can also share this episode with a friend,
2: or you could share it with that one coworker that you have that you really want to get to know better, but it's like kind of awkward to like share anything about your personal life within the like sort of rigid structure of the office but you're like I really wish that you were more of like a genuine friend than just a work friend like I want you to know who I am outside of this capitalist hell so like you could text them or slack them or email them a link to this episode and be like hey like I listened to this like cool podcast about this up-and-coming artist and like I thought you know maybe we could talk about
1: it after work like over coffee That's just like an idea that I had. That's a great idea. All right. Thanks for listening all the way to the end. Talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.